pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying in our place. Thank you for rising again. Thank you that you have established your kingdom. And you have made us a part of it. Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for empowering the Son to live that perfect life. Thank you for empowering us. Thank you for indwelling each of us as believers in Jesus Christ. And I pray now, use your word to change our lives. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Fresh out of seminary, a young man was given his first opportunity to preach sermon at a church. So he worked hard. He worked really hard to make his words eloquent and smooth and maybe maybe just a little bit too exuberant, too excited to share all of the learning that he had acquired. And so after the service, he's in the back and he's shaking hands and he was approached by one of the older women of the church, someone who was known and respected not only in the church, but also in the community. And she leaned in and said, son, big smile on her face. She said, your sermon is like the peace of God. And he just was delighted and he was thrilled and he's beaming. He kind of maybe puffed out his chest just a little bit until she continued on. Yes, it surpassed all understanding. So... I wonder if that's a little bit like how the people of Jesus' day felt. The disciples, we know that they struggled with understanding. We talked about this last week. We looked at at parables, Jesus' use of parables, and we talked about them. These parables were common everyday experiences that Jesus used to explain a spiritual truth. And we talked about in these parables, there's a lot of things that people sometimes chase rabbit trails on. We're not going to do that. We're always going to try to look for the main focus, the main teaching, the main point that Jesus was teaching in regards to this. One thing that we know that Jesus taught a lot about, a lot that he preached about, a lot that he proclaimed was the kingdom of God. We already even sang about that this morning. Let me just uh, read to you again Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. It says this, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He preached a lot about the kingdom of God. And today we're going to look at three parables, uh, all focused on the kingdom of God. So the first one, the illumination of the kingdom. I'm hope, I hope you're with me now in Mark chapter 4. Let me just read verse 21 and have you follow along. Mark chapter 4, 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? Or under a bed and not on a stand. Now, at first, when I was reading this, I'm thinking, hey, I know this one. The, Jesus, he preached about this in Matthew chapter 5. In fact, I even thought, man, I can put the slides on and we can all just kind of reminisce about the songs we used to sing as children and we can sing together this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. I was all set for that. <laughs> 
And then I looked at this, and so no, we are not going to sing this little light of mine. Hope that doesn't disappoint you too much. You can feel free to sing it after the service out in the foyer. None of us will think strange of you if you do that. So, but we're not going to do it today because here's the thing. This is an entirely different application of that example. See, in Matthew, Jesus was talking about how our lives should be a testimony, right? That's the light that we shine. But here in Mark, he's not talking about our personal testimonies. He is talking about the effects of the kingdom. And so he uses a very familiar illustration to help us understand it. So these are picture, this is a picture of several different ancient oil lamps, which is what Jesus was referring to in this parable. They were small bowls made out of clay, and they, you notice they have kind of that point, that spout on them. What they would do is they would fill them, the center holes, so they could keep filling it. They would fill that with oil, and then in that spout area, they would put a wick in there. And then they, of course, would light that, and that would be, that would be the lamp that they would use. Obviously, the more it could be elevated, the higher in the room, the more light it could shine forth and broadcast. You never lit one of these things uh, and put it down on the floor. Well, I guess it'd be a good night light, but that's about it. You, never, you certainly never lit one of these and you, you put it under something, under your bed or under a table. You never covered it up. You would light this and you would put this usually on some type of a shelf or a, something on the wall so that it was high and it would shed forth light. That makes sense. We understand that. Nothing complicated about that. So let's just keep that in mind and keep reading. Let me pick up in verse 22 and have you follow along. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Wait, what? Something is hidden so that it can be revealed? It's secret so that it can be made known? That's a bit enigmatic, isn't it? A little cryptic? What in the world is Jesus talking about? But as we look at it a little more deeply, we understand it's really not confusing. Yes, at first it might seem like that. But it really goes, to back, excuse me, goes back to what we talked about last week a few different times in regards to that. When we were looking through that we, parables, we talked about there's a twofold purpose to the parables of Jesus. First, he used the parables to reveal the truths of the word of God to some people. But second, he used parables to hide the truth, to conceal it, to others. And it all depended on a person's heart and their desire to either learn or to deny the words of Christ. So, so think, of, think of the kingdom of God. Think of it like a piece of embroidery. Right? One side is just kind of this mass of knots and tangles and crossed threads. But you turn it over. On the finished side, there's this beautiful pattern or picture or design that's there. Your appreciation for that piece of material, it, it all depends on what side you're looking at, right? One side is not very pretty. It's 
kind of just a tangled mess. It doesn't make sense, but wow, you flip it over, and it's like, oh, that's what they were designing and creating when they were sowing that. That's exactly how the kingdom of God is. Look again now at verse 23. It's really what Jesus had said back in verse 9, we saw last week there. Verse 23 here, he says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Look back, verse 9, And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a common theme throughout this chapter in Mark. As we talked about last week, hearing really means understanding. So we paraphrase verse 9 this way. Whoever has a heart open to understanding, let them understand. Jesus is telling them that those who want to understand the illuminating power of the kingdom can and they will be able to understand it. But those who don't want to, those who have hardened their hearts and their minds against the kingdom of God and against the teachings of Jesus Christ... Those people, they will not be able to understand. It will be hidden from them because those spiritual truths are something that their hearts are not ready to grasp. Hearing, at least here in Mark chapter 4, hearing has everything to do with understanding. And Jesus goes on then, explains it a little bit more fully, verses 24 and 25. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. In other words, pay attention to what you can understand. He goes on and says, With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. In other words, the more one is open to the words and the teachings of Jesus Christ, the more that one is open to understanding his kingdom and what it means to be a part of that, the more they will understand and they will know and they will be blessed because of that. It will be revealed to them more and more. But for those who have closed their hearts, they've closed their minds, they've closed their ears, to Jesus and his teachings, those who are refusing to be part of his kingdom. The way will be further closed to them, and and the little bit of comprehension that they might have, (laughs) it's going to be snatched away. It will be taken away from them. In fact, we'll be right back here to Mark 4, so you might want to just keep a finger. I want you to go towards the end of your Bibles, go all the way to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. Familiar verses to many of you, but I think that they're really important and relevant for what we're talking about here. Hebrews chapter 4, and I want you to go down to verses 12 and 13 once you're there. Hebrews chapter 4, and I'm going to read 12 and 13 and ask you just to follow along as I do that. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Isn't that a miraculous? The, the illumination of the word of God, what it will do. But a lot of times we just stop there because it's such a powerful verse and it's an amazing verse and it's okay to stop there. But let's read one more this morning. And no creature is hidden from his sight. 
but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There is an illumination, illuminating factor in regards to the kingdom of God. Here we read in Hebrews 4, the illumination, the illuminating power of the word of God. And it can be really exciting or downright terrifying, depending upon whether you are part of the kingdom of God or whether or, or you are not. Think of it a little bit like this. It's, it's that time of year. So we're if your mind hasn't gone there, I apologize for dragging it there now, but it will go there sooner or later on its own because we're approaching this time of year that we know as tax time, right? So some of you, depending maybe on, on your income and your deductions and, and all that stuff, some of you, you can hardly wait to file your tax returns. I mean, as soon as you get all the necessary bank statements and all of the, the docu- tax documents, you will either fill out those forms yourself or you will make a beeline to your accountant because you are, can hardly wait to file your taxes so that you can get money back. The quicker it's sent in, the quicker it's taken care of, the faster you'll get your return. So man, oh man, some of you, you think about tax time, you're excited. Whoo! It's tax time! And then there are people, people like me. I never get excited about tax time. I, I never get any money back. In fact, I know that I'm going to pay money. I pay money through the year, but I know that I will have to pay more. So April 15th, I don't know about you guys, it's like one of my least favorite days of the entire year. Amen. It's, it's, it's not like the storm cloud that I see on the distant horizon. It's like this full-fledged tsunami drawing closer and closer and closer until finally, whoosh, there is no escape. April, I don't want to be one that waits the last minute. So usually April the 14th is when I send in. But some of you are super excited. Some of us, not so much. It's dread. And the reason I say that is because I think that that's a little bit like what the kingdom of God is that Jesus is referring to here. Because all those who reject it, who have rejected his teachings, who have rejected his preaching, it's going to be fearsome. It's going to be a dreadful time. No wonder Jesus said, again here, back in Mark chapter 4, verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear. Let him hear. Second point, second parable reveals the mystery of the kingdom. So Mark chapter 4, I hope you're back there with me. Let me read verses 26 through 29 and have you follow along as I do that. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. So, 
I'm sure I know this. Many of you understand the whole process of seed germination and how all of that works. You understand how how the you know the the first of all the seed it, it establishes some roots and then it sprouts up th- through the ground and it becomes this plant that you can see a little bit. And it continues to grow and then ultimately, if it all works out well, there's this harvest. Now, oh sure, we try our best to help it to make it work. So we try to give the best possible conditions for that seed to germinate and then to grow and develop. So we'll put nutrients into the soil. Uh, We try to have the proper temperature. Uh, We try to give it the best right moisture content that it needs. But still, we do all those things. But still, we cannot make a seed germinate. can't just take a seed and break it open and like, oh, there's the roots. It just doesn't work that way. And so, just as the people in Jesus's day did, so we do. We plant the seed and then we wait. And we continue waiting. We sleep and we rise and we sleep and we rise and we wait until the seed sprouts up through the surface. And again, we do all that we can to help it grow, but still the mystery, I wouldn't even say the miracle of a seed ultimately leading to a harvest is something that God does, not us. And so we, we, some of you are very accomplished in growing fruits and vegetables. It's amazing what you know, and, but still ultimately God is the one who did the miracle of the growth. And so Again, we do just as the people in Jesus' day did. We wait. And so it is with the kingdom of God. It, it will grow in the good soil. We talked about the good soil last week. That, that soil, that good soil is the soil that's receptive to the word of God, and therefore it will produce a harvest. Now, I think it's interesting that Mark, even though he is the, the most succinct of the gospel writers. He's the shortest gospel writer. He is the only one of the gospel writers that actually records this specific parable. But it is such a great illustration for us to better understand what Jesus is doing in the establishment of his kingdom. In verse 28, the earth produces by itself. It's really interesting, that Greek word for itself, it's the word from what we get our English word, automatic. It just happens all by itself, (laughs) at least from our perspective, right? We can't make it. We can't force it. It just happens. There's nothing really automatic about it, of course, because there's nothing automatic about a seed germinating as well as there's nothing automatic about the kingdom of God. It is the slow, steady unstoppable process empowered by God himself. That's what makes the kingdom of God such an exciting theme, thinking about God's sovereignty and rule and control. Now, staying here in Mark 4 with this theme of some hearing and some not hearing, as Jesus has illustrated throughout this chapter, so it is here. The harvest will be a time of great joy and celebration for many who heard and understood and accepted the words of Jesus It's going to be a great thing, a wonderful thing. But the harvest will also be a time of great fear and dread for many others. The ones who 
refused to hear, the ones who refused to understand, the ones who refused to accept it. And I think that's part of why Jesus uses here, you notice the end of that, in verse 29, he talks about the sickle. I think that that's the idea of judgment. But the emphasis, we're not going to get buried again in in the details. We're going to stay focused here because the emphasis of this parable is on the miracle of God's growth of his kingdom. It is so exciting when we think about it. Apply it to your life. Think about the fact that God is in control. Yes, the world can be a really dark place. Yes, there are times when it seems like sin is out of control in the world around us and sometimes even in our own hearts. Yes, it can seem like there are times when in our spiritual journey for every step we take forward, we take two steps back. But it's because we are just like the farmer, and we can't always see what's happening. We have to wait until God reveals it because God is working. God is not sleeping. He is always active. There are things happening in his metaphor here, in this parable, underneath, beneath the soil. We can't see all that God is doing, and so we wait. But I assure you, on the authority of God's word, his kingdom is unstoppable. I love the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, 18, where he said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I say to you, be encouraged. Be strengthened in your daily battles against sin and Satan and the world's philosophies. Know that you are not alone in your fight. Know that while you may get knocked down, sometimes you will not be defeated. Know that you are part of something that, that while not fully realized now, it will reach its glorious culmination when Jesus comes again. As Jesus says here, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This is such a powerful thing. The kingdom of God. It's not about us. It's about God and his rule and power and sovereignty and control. But how we respond is very significant. I'm reminded of Jesus' words. You know this illustration. It's in Matthew chapter 7. He says this, Everyone then who hears, in other words, understands, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And that rock is Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, second person of the divine trinity, the Alpha and Omega the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And his kingdom will not be stopped and it will never be overcome. So be encouraged today in your battle because Jesus Christ reigns supreme and his kingdom will not ever be defeated. Third parable is the growth 
of the kingdom. Back here, now verses 30 through 32, let me read those as you follow along. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, let me just pause here. Some people, try to, they find way too much enjoyment in trying to undermine the authority of Scripture by claiming that it has mistakes and it has errors in it. We may not be able to understand it all, but I tell you, the Word of God does not have errors, does not have mistakes. It is perfect and without error in the original manuscripts as it was written. But this passage here, this passage is one that some people try to use to prove incorrectly and not able to do, but try to prove that the Word of God has errors in it. Now this, this is, I don't know if you can see those very well, but those are our mustard seeds. And some claim that mustard seeds are not the smallest of all seeds. I know nothing of that. I have no idea what could be smaller than those, but I guess that there are some that maybe can be or are. And so they say, see, the Bible has mistakes. I tell you, it does not. It does not. And besides, this is not a mistake anyway. Even if there are smaller seeds, this is not a mistake. Two, two reasons I, could, I say that. First of all, the Bible does not always give a technical or scientific description of something, but sometimes it's more of a popular one. What I mean by that is sometimes the Bible puts things in ways that people who it was presented to could understand. So when Jesus is talking to those people there, I don't know if a mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. There may be something smaller. But when he's talking to those people in first century Palestine, that was the smallest seed that they knew of. That was the smallest seed that they had. And so when he said that, no one thought, hey, wait, um, Jesus, correction here. You know, there's a seed smaller than a mustard. No one, because to them it made perfect sense. That's exactly what it was. Jesus put it in a way they could relate to. But that aside, the word that most of our English versions translates as smallest, it's the Greek word makros. Hopefully that looks a little bit familiar, because it's kind of like micro. And that word doesn't necessarily mean smallest, but can simply mean very small. So if someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm going to prove to you the word of God has error. Let me show you this thing about mustard seed. Don't, you know, you can try to stifle your yawn or anything like that. Don't, don't roll your eyes too much, but don't let them take you away from the reality. The word of God is without error. In the original manuscripts, it was perfect as God inspired men to write it. But back to this parable. The point of this parable is not the size of the mustard seed. It is rather a comparative description of the kingdom of God. Yes, 
It started small. The kingdom of God started here as Jesus proclaimed it has now come. It started with Jesus and his followers. It started really small. But just as a mustard seed can grow into a very large bush, it can measure anywhere from three feet up to even 12 feet tall. Just as that mustard seed grows from something super small into something very large. So the kingdom of God will continue to grow. It cannot and it will not be limited, and it most certainly will never be defeated. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Let them understand. Let them embrace this truth. This is such an exciting passage. Don't get caught up in being distracted by little details. This talks about the growth of the kingdom, starting small, but continuing to grow into something large and robust, all because of Jesus Christ. Let's let's finish out our passage, verses 33 and 34. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. Jesus continued to use parables, and again, with the twofold purpose of making his teachings clear to those who wanted to learn and unknowable to those who rejected his word and refused to truly listen. And so for the 11th time here in Mark chapter 4, Mark uses the word here. So here my friends. It's important that we hear, that we understand. Hear and understand the truths of the kingdom. I think this is such such a great verse. I know that many of you know this, but John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, says this, in him, talking about Christ, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. So I say to you, be encouraged. God's kingdom marches on. God's kingdom will never be stopped. It will never be defeated. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. The power of God's kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Jesus, you have made us something. You have made us part of something that's so much bigger than ourselves. I pray that you would help us, God, that you would help us to hear, to understand. Help us, God, to love you because you first loved us. And I thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Kip, I did not want you to take me off of that. Can I? No, sorry, let's try it again. Okay. This is an exciting time for us. We're always so thrilled when people uh, join our church, and we're just happy to have everyone who who is here today and on other days to be part of our church. But we're really delighted when someone says, you know what, this is my home church. 
I want to be part of this church. And so they, they take that further step of membership. And when we welcome new members into our churches, as our practice here, we read together our church covenant. And this is just simply a way of expressing what we as a church believe and what it means to us to be a member. I'm going to encourage you just to stay seated. I'm going to have you read this. Uh, You don't have to be a member to read this, but if you are comfortable reading along, please do so. We're going to together read this out loud. This is our church covenant. Having, as we trust, been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give up ourselves to him, we do now, relying on his gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We will walk together in brotherly love, as becomes the members of a Christian church, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. We will endeavor to train and raise those who are under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We will seek, by divine aid, to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, and remembering that there is on us a special obligation now to lead a new and holy life. We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We will, if we move from this place, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. It is a joy every time someone says, you know what, this, this is the church that I come and worship at and I want to I want to become part of it in a, in a special way. Again, we just are thrilled for everyone who comes to this church. But I love it. It just touches my heart when someone says, I want to become a member of this church. I'm going to ask Bruce and Marilyn Bightley if they would please come at this time. They, many of you know them. They have been coming for quite some time. I'm so thankful for them and their willingness to come and to join this church together. And uh, these are special people to Tammy and myself. Uh, They have been friends for many years. Don't hold that against them, that they're (laughs) friends with us. Um, But we are, as a church family, we are so delighted and thrilled to have you guys be part of us. Bruce, you said you wanted to address the church. I would. Um, 
it's difficult because I get as the older you get, the more emotional you get. <laughs> so let's forget that. Let's forget that. I'm like, so anyway, you know, there's three things about a church, and what brought us here to uh, Red Pine is your pastor Rick. What a godly man, great person. His wife, beautiful lady. They're one of the reasons. The other reason is is that you, you were very warm in welcoming us, welcoming us to your church and that was what we were looking for and uh and that's what we're staying for um the other thing is is that i know <clears throat> that you have been praying for me for quite some time mm -hmm. um not only for heart problems but for this rascal right here this eye um i was informed a week ago two weeks ago that it's going to be the best it's ever going to be and so when i close it and look at you you're all perfect <laughs> but there is some there is some sight in it. Yeah, there's one back. Um, there is some sight in it. But I wanted to say thank you personally for praying for me. And you know what? Just like Paul had the thorn in his side, you know what? God did not take it away. But he said, I'll give you enough grace mm -hmm. to get by. Yep. Yep. And he is. He does. So thank you very much. Yeah. I'm going to pray for Bruce and Marilyn, and then I'm going to ask, um, as I do that, if the deacons and if their wives are with them, if they could come up. Tammy's in the nursery, so she wanted me to apologize that she won't be here with that. But as I pray, I'm going to ask that the deacons will come up. And then also, once, once we are dismissed, we'll use the center aisle and this western aisle to, to come. You can come up here, and we'll use this east aisle to exit. And I would just invite you all. You don't have to be a member. You just are thrilled that Bruce and Marilyn are part of Red Pine Bible Church, and you can greet them together. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for Bruce and Marilyn, the, the people that they are. Thank you so much for their love and their passion for you, their devotion to you. Thank you, God, for bringing them here, for blessing us with them. And I pray that you would help us as their church family now to be an encouragement to them, to help them to continue to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ as they, in turn, help us to grow. We are stronger as a church family because these two people are part of it. And I rejoice in that, and I thank you so much for your blessings upon this church. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.